This is Jean Nathan with Crosstown Conversations and a special program today. You'll be listening into What's Up? Talks from international, national, and local leaders about what's happening with the creative industries worldwide. It's part of New Orleans Entrepreneur Week going on now at the Contemporary Arts Center and the Ogden Museum. So listen in. The Creative Industries Network, a sister organization, slightly better endowed, because they have a few more corporations and things like that up there. And um, when their steel industry crashed, they uh, basically said, okay, what are we gonna do to survive? Just as you know, we see what's happening with fossil fuels around here, and maybe we'll kind of get the message that we have to move on to a new form of economic development. So with that, Kim Chesney. Mike. Hi, everybody. I'm Kim. I'm from the Pittsburgh Technology Council in Pittsburgh, and I'm so excited to be here in New Orleans. This is my first time here, and this is such an amazing city. I've learned so much. Thanks for having me, Jean. Um, I'm so glad to share some ideas with you guys today. Uh, Jean invited me down here because we have created a creative industries network in Pittsburgh that's been thriving for the last 10 years working on the same principle as you guys with um, transforming our city and growing our city based on uh, the creative industries and economic development. Really our focus has been on this intersection of creativity and innovation. Just like art and technology are two sides of the same coin, we consider creativity and innovation two sides of the same coin. So throughout the years we've developed programming and a full suite of offerings to help support creatives and empower creatives so that creatives are no longer uh, second-class citizens. We're not something to a uh, service industry. We are empowered people who make money doing the things that we love and are actually the future of the economy in a lot of places. So we're really excited about this work. We're excited to share the successes that we've had and to talk about the things that we've done that have worked and to collaborate with you all to find ways to levitate the creative industries all around the nation. Um, do you want me to go into any more detail, or is that uh, okay? I don't want to. I don't want to go over my five minutes. <laughs> but just to summarize a few things that we've done, um, you know, we have uh, we, we do something called the Create, Create Festival. That's uh, our annual big event, and we bring together all kinds of creatives. Um, it's artists, it's technologists, it's 
programmers, engineers, fine artists, all those different groups, are, we focus on breaking down the silos of the different creative industries to bring everybody together. This idea of being a convener of, of diverse groups of people has been our core. We've worked with the Richard Florida group and we've done two studies of the creative industries in Pittsburgh and it's led us to statistically prove that people who work together that are diverse and were from different backgrounds outside their comfort, comfort zones are actually statistically proven to succeed more. So that's been our underlying principle. Everything that we do is based on collaboration and co-creation and working with people from different backgrounds. So that model has worked for us. We've been growing over the last 10 years. We're funded partially by philanthropy and partially by corporate sponsorships and event uh, membership and pro programming profits. So it's been a good and profitable model for us. So you know, I'd, I'd love to talk more with anybody who'd be interested in about like replicating that kind of thing. Gene and I are in conversations about what we can do to collaborate and create models like that here where uh, you all can benefit from the same kind of work. Right? How's that? Yeah. Thank you. And uh, sitting next to you <coughs> is Felicia Hackett, who is with UNESCO. And y'all, I uh, discovered uh, the UNESCO study uh, that was done in 2013 that is absolutely astounding in revealing how much is being done in the creative industries worldwide. And UNESCO has been at the heart of really tracking that, supporting it, and um, Felicia and uh, Pat O'Sullivan uh, came in from New York to uh, share with us uh, what they've learned. Okay, good evening. Distinguished guests, members of the Creative Alliance of New Orleans, I bring you greetings from the Director General and the staff at UNESCO. Father and I are happy to be here this afternoon to celebrate this occasion with you. We know of all the intense planning which has gone into this event, especially after speaking with Ms. Nathan and her enthusiasm. It became contagious. <laughs> I will give you a very short briefing about UNESCO and its work on culture as well as how you can become a creative city. The Creative Cities Network was created in 2004 by UNESCO to foster international cooperation with and between cities that have identified creativity as a main enabler for sustainable urban regeneration and development. Last month, UNESCO launched the 2017 call for applications for the Creative Cities Network to be submitted. The creative economy is both a powerful and economic indicator, generating employment and income, and at the same time, it is a source of social togetherness, identity, and dignity. All these things working together enables the creative economy to be truly sustainable. More and more countries are investing in culture as a driving force for sustainable development. China, Brazil, India, Indonesia, where the cultural sector represents 10% of their gross domestic product. A shift is clearly underway across the world. There are now 116 cities from 54 countries which currently contribute to the growing network, all working towards a common mission of placing creativity and cultural industries at the front of their development plans at the local level. They are all cooperating through intercity partnerships at the international level. The network covers seven creative fields, crafts and folk art, design, film, gastronomy, literature, media arts, and music. This year, UNESCO's celebration of International Women's Day focused strongly on the arts. 
There was a roundtable debate on gender equality in the art world, an advocacy campaign to be better represented in the media, and an international art exhibition. Gender equality and the arts will focus on the challenges encountered by female artists, art as a forum for expression for women, and the part the arts can play in uplifting art for everyone. Creative Cities is being pushed into the forefront at all levels and through all channels. UNESCO remains the only international organization with a global vision of the social, cultural, and economic role of crafts in society. Due to wide gaps between cultural industries in the developed and developing countries, the challenge lies in strengthening local capacity, improving access to global markets through new partnerships, obtaining support from experts, and combating piracy and defending the intellectual property rights. Here in New Orleans, you can enhance your city's creative potential for sustainable urban development, exchange know-how and, and cooperate on an international level. To become a member of the UNESCO, UNESCO Creative Cities Network, candidate cities must submit an application that clearly demonstrates their willingness, commitment, and capacity to contribute to the objectives of the network. The network of the seven creative fields mentioned before can be chosen by the cities according to their preference for a specific creative industry sector to which they devote their talent and energy. The member cities that form the network come from diverse regions, have different income levels and populations. The cities must be ready to pool their resources, their experiences and knowledge for the common objectives laid out in the network mission statement. UNESCO created cities are indeed key partners to UNESCO for the local implementation of the United Nations 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. The call for applications for UNESCO Creative Cities Network is now open to all of you. Joining the network is a long outstanding commitment. It must involve a participative process and forward-looking approach. Cities must present a realistic action plan, including specific projects, initiatives, or policies to be executed in the next four years to implement the objectives of the network. All applications must be submitted by email to UNESCO using the official site for which I have here a form which you can all see. Late applications will not be evaluated. All forms must be received by the 16th of June, 2017. Following the evaluation process carried out by internal and external consultations with independent experts and the member cities of the network, the Director General of UNESCO will designate the UNESCO Creative City. This announcement of the Creative Cities designated for 2017 will be published on the UNESCO website on the 31st of October this year. Everyone here can assist by sharing this information to relevant stakeholders in your region. If your city is interested in joining the growing network, you may access the documents through the UNESCO website and follow the prompts. And we hope that we have here many people who will be interested in this and can submit their applications as soon as possible. 
June 16th, everybody. Write that down. We're going to work on this for sure, right? Thank you so much for coming in, Felicia. So um, Guy McGinnis is the parish president for St. Bernard. And this may come as a shock to many of you in this, in this audience, but St. Bernard has made a substantial, serious, generous commitment to growing the creative industries in St. Bernard. And this is the man who made the commitment, and I'll tell you a little bit more after he talks, but please. Thank you, Gene. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have the privilege of having Gene ask you to do something for you. You really don't have a choice. I learned that, out real, I learned that really quick. But uh, uh, I just wanted to start. Anytime I have an opportunity to go outside of St. Bernard Parish to promote my parish, I do. And, you know, I'm not a, a creative, artsy guy. I was a school teacher, and that was impressive, by the way, getting this first uh, uh, row here filled. As a teacher, I could never get that done. But, uh, you know, I was a basketball coach, a basketball player, and, and was fortunate enough to be elected um, leader of my community. So the creative part of my mind is really uh, not there. But I, I see now um, how that affected my community, having been uh, devastated by Katrina, trying to get our population back. And it's not just an industry for us in an economic development way. It is but it's more so um, from a cultural perspective and providing things for our community and for other um, residents to look at St. Bernard Parish to move into. And if you're familiar with uh, St. Bernard Parish and you live in the metropolitan area, you know that um, we have some rebranding going on in St. Bernard right now. And cultural arts district is not something that you would have heard six months ago maybe um, and, and today. So, so that's why I like to get out and, and talk about it. It has been amazing um, for us. A few years back we joined, uh, we, we had a cultural arts designation as a district in Araby. We provided some CDBG funds to beautify that area and do some landscaping, some streetscaping and lights. The Miro Foundation, which is a wonderful foundation, came in and bought some property here comes along Mitch, Mitch Godet, which I'm assuming a lot of you guys know. A wonderful um, guy and does a great job in our parish. Is doing a great job in teaching and educating our citizens on the cultural arts um, um, economy. Uh, Sidney Torres and what he's doing in the filming industry and with the crevasse um, in, in the eastern part of our parish. It, it created a buzz for our citizens and our citizens got involved. And from there, our citizens talk to people outside of St. Bernard. So people start um, coming. And I was, hey, well, St. Bernard's a different, different type of community now. Let, let's go check it out. So it's not a coincidence that our property values are increasing at a dramatic rate right there in Araby, that our population is increasing. Um, we are starting a program now. It's called Sold on St. Bernard, where we have a Build-A-Bundle program, some spec homes in the Araby area, and we're getting a phenomenal um, um, look from citizens outside of St. Bernard. We are connect, we, we haven't connected with the city in so many, you know, in generations. So we are connecting with our city um, like we have never done before, and it's benefiting us. Why would you drive across the lake when you can live right here in St. Bernard and be close to where you were? 
So we're no longer a, a bedroom community. And I guess from some of the questions we have uh, coming our way today, I want to speak to the to the fact that our community, who has never been connected to the cultural arts industry, we're now connected, and the benefits that we are receiving um, exponentially, I believe, uh, from anything else that's happened in our community, has been great for us. And I'll be um, willing to take some questions later on. Thank you, Gene. So I have to just add to that. I can't resist um, promoting uh, an event that we have coming up on April 2nd which is gonna be a walk and talk with the artists Tina Freeman and Jackie Bishop and Allison Stewart, who have a show at the River House, which is part of the Provost 22 site that Cano actually developed. I wanna ask um, Steve Martin, who was part of the program earlier today, um, who was one of our small business uh, people that we presented, who um, we had um, a, a star super startup, which is Ethel back there, so say hello to Ethel when you come and she's serving you. Um, <clears throat> Steve, who's kind of a mid-range, and then we had Matt Schwartz from um, Domain, who is getting an award tonight from the Teddy Solomon whatever, um, and i um, proud of that as well. But um, Steve um, has, uh, you know, made something international out of something local, and uh, tell us how you did that. Um, I'm Steve Barton. I'm the publisher of Art Plus Design Magazine. Uh, we started this magazine uh, uh, this fall would be our fifth anniversary. So um, the purpose of the magazine was to um, join New Orleans creative voices to an international community through an elevated platform. And one of the things that I'd always known about New Orleans is it's an international city. Everybody in the world knows about New Orleans and, and really wants to visit here. But they know us for a lot of different reasons and not all of them are cultural based. Uh, it's a lot of it's food and partying and, you know, things that you see advertised the most. So what I wanted to do was, was change the perception that New Orleans was a provincial city culturally and put it on the front burner internationally as a city that contributes to the world through its culture. There's a, a, a plethora of people that have left New Orleans and gone out and made substantial contributions to the world community and cultural arts. And so uh, we took this uh, platform, Art Plus Design, and created a magazine that views everything through an artistic lens, whether it's fashion or shelter, interior design, architecture. Uh, we created opportunities for designers of fashion, jewelry, homes, artists in photography, sculpture, uh, printmaking, um, and the experience of New Orleans culture through music and food and, and the different uh, cultural things that we have to do. We have been able to, to network with people here in the city and have them contribute. And I'd like to make a, a call out to uh, one of our long-term contributors, Ruth Johansson, who has her own art collective here in, in the city. She's been our scene and be seen writer for five years and has really brought a lot of um, effort to the magazine to raise the awareness of programs that are in the city that people wouldn't normally know about. It's not something that always appears at the Sanger. It's in little places in the Bywater. And she uh, just wrote in this magazine about uh, Music Box, which is one of our stars in the local uh, uh, 
network of, of things to do. Uh, we worked with St. Bernard Parish and the, we worked with the film industry and we try to take anything that we can that takes New Orleans uh, to an international level or from an international level back to New Orleans, I call it a thread. It doesn't even have to be that strong of a thread, but it, it's a tie. And it um, really focuses the, the world community, and we are in the world now. This, this publication, this is our 14th issue. We print quarterly. Uh, this is the third issue that's gone worldwide in print. So we're in Barnes & Noble and Books A Million nationwide. We're in Fry in California and Texas, Book World in the Chicago Corridor, Indigo Chapters in Canada. We're going into W.H. Smith in London. We're in 12 countries outside the U.S. So the people that we're focusing on from New Orleans uh, are featured with other international stories as well. So. Uh, one example is uh, in the front of the book, we have some short articles called exposés. So the art exposé is on the Venice show that's at Noma right now. The uh, experience exposé is Elton John's photo exhibit at the Tate Modern in London. So, uh, and then the design uh, exposé is on Gucci's uh, installation at Chatsworth House in London. So it, if you mix international internationally relevant stories that are current and on the current international stage, and you put a New Orleans article in the middle of it, it elevates everybody up in their perception of what we're putting out here. And that's been our goal, and, and thankfully we've, we've been recognized for it, and it's continuing to grow, so. So you all know what's been happening to print, right? Look at the width of this magazine, what does that tell you? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, we, we, we've been growing. content advertising, this is a very alive and future-oriented publication. We, we've been expanding and growing in, in uh, page count against a declining print market. So, um, so, you know, one of the things that we're very forward in dealing with in the magazine is our visual content. People still like a tactile experience of holding a, a, a piece of art in their hands. And that's kind of what we try to do, is create a piece of art that's readable and collectible. And uh, that's what's happened. People will call us and get back issues. And we'll do, like this is the second cover, so we do two, sometimes we do four covers. We have people that collect them all. Uh, the re-readership is quite high because it stays out as a coffee table book. But one of the things that I didn't mention, that may, I didn't mention at all today, and maybe one of the most important things, is everything that we make, what little of it there is, goes back into the New Orleans economy. We even print the magazine here at a much higher cost than we could have it printed elsewhere, but we focus our money back into the community to try to help sustain our economy. Well, uh, it was an important decision that we made after Katrina. <clears throat> Thank you, Steve, for all of that. Uh, now, Jan Ramsey and I, oh my God, we really kind of go back, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, Jan, who obviously publishes Offbeat and has been doing that now for how many years? Almost 30. Oh my God. All right, 30 years. Jan Ramsey has been promoting the entertainment and music of our city um, in so many ways, Jan. Well, just like Steve sees the, the city through the lens of art, you know, we see the city through the lens of music and um, relate everything to music, because music is, I think, an integral part of our culture and it affects everything. I think that, that people do hear um, writers and, and 
visual artists and theater people. I mean, music is such a part of our culture. So um, we chose to uh, see the city um, as a music mecca, which it is. But I think we know that, but not enough people in the, I think in the business community understand that. That's been kind of my challenge in keeping the magazine alive. And um, years ago, and this has something to do with digital media, I suppose, but we're growing more in our digital area than we are in, in print. I mean, the print magazine still comes out, but our website is doing fantastically. We have a, a, a newsletter that actually makes money, a digital newsletter. Um, our social media is doing very well, and I've invested very heavily into the digital side of the business. Um, the business, uh, Jean asked me to say something about how everything had cha has changed since I got into this business. I kind of fell into it, and that, that would take me hours to, to talk about. But um, uh, the, there's a, I think in the past probably five to seven years, um, the complexion of the music has changed, the music industry has changed. Um, because for the first time, I think, in my lifetime, and I'm pretty damn old, um, there has been a, a, an influx from the outside world of young people from other places. And we never have seen that in New Orleans, not while I've been alive. And now we see it mainly because of the technology development and the, you know, the, the idea village and, and entrepreneurial and Katrina. activities. And Katrina, exactly. Uh, a lot of people came here to work to help us recover from Katrina. They loved it so much that they stayed. So we're seeing a, a big change. Of course, it only takes a weekend here to want to stay forever. Yeah, I know. Or As we know. Yeah, or a jazz fest, too, for that matter. But, you know, I don't, you know, right now I have... I don't have any local people working for me now. I mean, no, nobody who's from New, well, actually I do, I have one person. But um, it's, it's been a real challenge uh, for me, uh, not so much because people don't know New Orleans music or New Orleans and even Southwest Louisiana as a, as a, a culture, cultural cradle of music. Um, but what I find is that the business community has not, truly embraced the, uh, the need to um, support music. And I don't mean specifically to get tourists here, although that's very important, obviously, um, but in terms of homegrown types of businesses. Um, since I've been in business, we now have a, uh, a music business program um, at Loyola University. There's also one at, at Delgado. That never existed uh, when I started. Um, there, I think when I started the magazine, there were maybe two, maybe three attorneys that practiced entertainment law. There are a lot more now, there are a lot more. The, the media has focused on, uh, TV media has focused on New Orleans, which has brought a lot of creative people here. It's also spread the word about music. Um, but getting back to the younger people moving in, they're changing the complexion of the kind of music that is played here, appreciated here. For example, I would never have thought 10, 12 years ago that there would be an EDM festival here, and, and that's Buku. And, you know, and it's a, kids love it, and, you know, it's part of it. I never thought that we would put an EDM person on our cover. We have a person, a guy named Pretty Lights. Does anybody know Pretty Lights here? 
Yeah, Pretty Lights lives here. So uh, we did Pretty Lights on the cover um, this month, you know, and 12 years ago, we might have had Professor Longhair or Johnny Badagwich. We cover the whole spectrum of music, and we were committed <laughs> to do that. So I, I think that the, the music is changing here, but it's a good thing. What I'm concerned about, and I'm glad to see these NOCA students here, the thing that makes New Orleans so interesting and unique and, uh, I guess, an attraction for the rest of the world is the fact that we have such a deep-rooted history of music that's been passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation. And uh, that is something that I feel very strongly about in terms of educating, I don't want to call them the newbies, but I, the, you know, in this context I will, the, the newbies that come to the city that don't necessarily know about our culture, or about our musical culture. We need to impress upon them that that's the thing that makes new, that's the reason why they really moved here in the first place. They don't know that, but that's the reason why they moved here. We need to make sure that we can keep that culture and historical rootedness going and pass it on to these new people that have come into, into the city. So I do see changes there. This is what I want to do now because I really want to um, make sure that we get around the room. I'm going to start right here with Jen because she's right under my nose. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Jean. Um, I'm here representing my organization in the Lower Nine called Backyard Gardeners Network, and we focus on the cultural traditions of growing food. In our neighborhood, uh, we have a kids club uh, that we run. It's gardening, art, and cooking for kids in our community, which is very important because one of our community centers actually recently closed in our neighborhood. We have a food as medicine workshop series. It's health and nutrition cooking for adults and seniors who are interested in combating uh, diet-related diseases uh, in their lives. And we also have a paid youth internship program for teenagers in our neighborhood. Um, that's usually a first job experience for them, and it gives them an opportunity to practice their communication skills, gardening, of course, um, and also help us with our workshops and events. We have a fundraiser coming up on April 17th. It's called our Back to Our Roots fundraiser. I have flyers that I would love to pass around to y'all. We're gonna have Tank and the Bangers there. Yes, we got them before they won the Tiny Desk concert. That's really good. They have roots in the lower nine as well. Also, Sonny Patterson is gonna be there and the Israel Trio. It's gonna be a really good time and it's to support all the free community programming that we do in the lower nine. Fantastic. Um, I wanna go to um, uh, Nick, if you might come up. Nick Stillman with the Arts Council. And um, Nick has a, both something to uh, uh, crow about, but also a warning that we all have to be attentive to. Yeah. I always have a lot to crow about. Thank you, Jean. Um, my name is Nick Stillman. I'm the President and CEO of the Arts Council of New Orleans, and I'll try to be very brief. I, um, I want to thank the, Jean and the panelists for um, all speaking, and our elected official, for all speaking very conscientiously and progressively about how the arts play a role in our lifestyle, our culture, and our economy, um, which is the truth. Uh, this is the arts and culture industries are primary economic drivers to this region. And um, at the federal level, I think it's become clear over recent weeks that our industry, from a more traditional level, when we're thinking of funding, is under attack currently. And part of what the Arts Council does, uh, we do too many things for me to count off here. We produce the Arts Market of New Orleans, we produce Lunafet, we are the primary grant maker to the region. 
and our grants are made from two sources, the city of New Orleans, our city council, and the state. And our state is funded directly by the National Endowment for the Arts. And so if the NEA is defunded, our, straight, our state grant making program is thus also defunded. Uh, it is really important that everyone here who cares, and I know all of you are here because you do care, everyone here who cares about arts and culture in Louisiana being a sustainable thing uh, needs to speak up now. And our, we have power. Our elected officials are listening. Uh, our elected official today can tell you that. Our elected officials listen to us. We have power. Uh, now is the time to speak on this matter. And if you, my, my name's Nick Stillman, and my email address is nick at artsplural.neworleans.org. You can email me, you can call me directly at the office, and I will equip you all with information about how to reach your local officials. Uh, I'll equip you all with information that we're being fed directly from the Americans for the Arts, the primary advocacy group in this country, about how to fight this, because um, frankly, it's shameful. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you, Jean. Thank you. Um, uh, if you would um, please bring the mic over here to Susan Brennan. Uh, with Prospect, which has been in a very important uh, part of, again, our contemporary developments in the arts here. And she's one of my heroes, as she knows, I say this all the time, it's getting boring. But um, she really did keep Prospect alive, went in the very beginning, kind of ran over a little bit as early initiatives did, and some folks wanted to jump the ship, and she did not. And so here we are, after a very difficult time because of our tax credits being iffy, that's another thing that you have to keep pressure on our um, legislators about. And I've got a couple other people in the room who will, will address that as well. Susan. Yeah, thank you, Jean. And th you know, everybody here knows how much Jean does for the arts, and we, you know, we can't thank her enough. So um, I'm on the prospect board, I'm chairman of the board, and just like Nick did, we just sent out letters to our whole board. So I would. Um, encourage all of you with your organizations to send out letters to um, write about the NEA grant. Prospect received an NEA grant for Prospect 3 and we currently have a proposal in for Prospect 4 that we you know, hope will be successful, but who knows. Um, Prospect 4 is this year, which is exciting. We're a triennial, so um, we're gonna open in November. And um, our artistic director is um, head of the, he's the curator at the Nasher Museum at Duke, and his name is Trevor Schoonmaker, and I think he is putting together an incredible show of somewhere between 60 and 70 artists, um, international, that will be showing all over the city of New Orleans. Um, it's a fabulous show. His theme this year is the lotus in spite of the swamp. So this beautiful flower will flower in the swamp. So the, the metaphor is art and beauty, you know, despite the, some of the terrible things happening in the world and stuff like that, in this swampy land, um, this beautiful flower comes up. And so um, that's his theme. And it kind of is really fitting for New Orleans. So we're having a swamp galaxy um, as our fundraiser in uh, November. And I uh, would love all y'all to attend, and um, it's going to be a great show. So. Thank you. And um, Jolene Pinder and Jimmy Hornbeek, I'm going to ask you both to sort of tag team on what's going on in the film industry. Hi, my name's Jolene Pinder, and I'm the executive director of Create Louisiana. I formerly was with the New Orleans Film Society for six years. And just to give you a little background around Create Louisiana, it actually was born 
that last session uh, when things were looking not so good for the film industry and we felt like there was a need to really promote the indigenous film community here in Louisiana. And so we launched a really interesting initiative that was a kind of public-private partnership between the New Orleans Film Society, the Louisiana Endowment for the, Art, for the Humanities, and um, a private company, Deep South Studios. And it was a $50,000 filmmaker's grant for an independent Louisiana filmmaking team. And we awarded it to Naila Jefferson and John Wood with the film Plaquemines, which then went on to premiere at the New Orleans Film Festival last fall. So since that time, we've realized the need to kind of build capacity around funding for filmmakers and artists because we have a really vibrant, thriving community of independent filmmakers. But as Nick described, we have very few resources. We're very under-resourced in this area. And if you compare Louisiana to other states and the kinds of grant making that's done to, for filmmakers and independent media. So Create Louisiana has become its own organization with, um, and we have partnerships still with the Film Society and Deep South Studios and the Endowment for the Humanities. But we are launching a new grant making initiative. We actually just closed today at 5 p.m. a $32,500 grant in partnership with TV Saint Monde uh, and the Film Society and the Endowment and Deep South, which um, also could lead to a broadcast opportunity and it's a French culture grant for film, so tying the sort of historical connection between Louisiana and France. Um, so we're, we're excited to see what comes in the door, and in the next two months we're going to be announcing a slate of $30,000 of sort of smaller grants um, for filmmakers around the state. Um, we've sort of did filmmaker focus groups last year to learn more about what they were interested in, and we need to have sort of more opportunities at a smaller level as well. So that's what we're all about, and it's definitely in partnership that we work with the industry because our um, primary funder, Scott Niemeyer, is a producer of the Pitch Perfect movies, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, it's an Algiers boy, and really wants to give back to the community, and that's where a lot of the funding has come from for this initiative, and we need more people like that. Jimmy Harvey uh, is with the ranch. Yes. And also with the Louisiana Film. And Entertainment Association. And mm -hmm. inspired by Jimmy. Yes. Uh, I'm going to start off. Uh, so I wear two hats. I am the chief marketing officer known as the director of amazement at the Ranch Film Studio, studio located in St. Bernard Parish. Uh, we currently have a $50 million film on our property. Uh, we just had a $150 million film on our property, and I cannot tell you what that does for the economy as we begin to, um, as films come in and put 250, 300,000 into a steel, uh, a local steel shop, or into our restaurants, or into our, uh, you know, just the, the, the ripple effect of it is tremendous. I'm going to read to you a quote, <clears throat> which is why I have a paper in my hand. Jean probably started crying when she saw I had a paper in my hand. But it said, if the state of Louisiana landed a company that would create $1.149 billion, let me say that again, $1.149 billion in business sales in Louisiana, along with $760 million in household earnings, 12,890 jobs, 34.2 million in local governments, and 53.2 million for the state treasury, that would no doubt appear on the front page of the paper above the fold the next day. This is the industry that we're speaking about. This industry is always at a battle. We are in the middle of a three-year tax credit law. 
uh, April 10th, we will go back to a fiscal um, a fiscal session. session. I, I want to say struggle, but I'm hoping <laughs> that it's not a struggle. Uh, we are right now, which you, you know, um, the, the industry provides 13,000 jobs, and I would just ask if you have time, please go to filmlouisiana.com, and there are two videos that are on that <clears throat> website. Um, and you can look at those two videos. You can click that Take Action button. That's filmlouisiana.com. And I see Jan, I thought she was talking to me. Um, and so that would be uh, very helpful to the industry. If you know a legislator, if you can get behind us in support, we are, we are wanting the support of the community. We are asking local businesses to help us, and we've enlisted the chambers and the Rotary Clubs to stand behind the film industry. But can I take this slightly? We are getting ready to go into a fiscal session, and it really needs your help and support. I think that's it. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask Sarah now. Uh, excuse me. Uh, uh, are you guys getting ready to leave? Okay. Um, would you give the mic to my friends before we Because I just want Benjamin, on your what, what I, I'm Benjamin Warnke. I'm uh, one of the principals of Alembic Community Development. Uh, and I'm um, happy to be here. Um, I'm not sure why Jean has given me the microphone. I'll be good to say, because one of these bottles cards will kill me. Um, <laughs> so, okay, he is the developer behind the Mother Bottle Bank Building, which is That was that was beautiful. <laughs> I'm gonna. Should I give this microphone to Carol now? Well, the primary project we're working on right now is uh, the redevelopment of the St. Rose of Lima uh, building on Bayou Road that we're uh, developing with the Southern Repertory Theater. Uh, and uh, that's a very exciting project. We're thrilled to be doing that. Uh, the project also includes the redevelopment of two historic school buildings uh, behind the church, uh, one of which will be a um, co-working space uh, with a focus on the creative industries. Uh, the second will be the new uh, campus of the Waldorf School of New Orleans. Uh, the, so that's something that we're uh, expecting to close the fi financing on uh, this uh, in April. Um, the uh, other project that we're working on and very excited about, uh, or one other project that we're working on and very excited about is the redevelopment of the McDonough 19 school building on St. Claude Avenue in the Lower Ninth Ward. Uh, you may have uh, read an, uh, 
that we uh, were working with the Leona Tate Foundation for Change, uh, which is uh, an organization that was created by Le Leona Tate, who was one of the three first graders who integrated that school on November 14, 1960. Uh, and the project was just awarded a $500,000 grant from the National Park Service uh, as part of the financing to turn that into a, um, a museum and commemorative space uh, for the civil rights movement in New Orleans. So that's um, another project we're working on. I would just say that all of the work that we do is in partnership with nonprofit organizations and it's all driven by communities. Uh, we view ourselves as uh, uh, in service to community residents and to communities, and we are uh, fairly new to this great city and uh, just extraordinarily uh, grateful for the opportunity to work with uh, people like Gene and all the rest of you. So, Carol B. Bell, and I'm the uh, co-founder and executive director for um, Ashley Cultural Arts Center. Bravo. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I want to start, though, by kind of co-tailing on Nick's comments earlier. Um, and um, the encouragement to be in touch with our um, representatives is really important. Um, and as important as that is, it is to essentially put your own spin on it. Um, there are a lot of letters that are running around that are preformed for us, but I think part of being able to get the, the word home is to essentially personalize culture and art for yourself so that your legislators also have ammunition in terms of how it is that they can talk about and fight for uh, art and culture. Um, I think we're in a, a, a place where, where fierce citizenship is what's required. Um, I think it very much... Um, relates to the struggles that we're having around resources um, is the fact that we're not sitting at uh, enough tables that are not art tables um, so that we are able to be used um, with the talents and the gifts that we have for community making and, uh, and citizenship. So I encourage us to continue to be very proud of our we, our community of creatives and cultural folks, but um, that gift is a gift that's really intended to be shared um, in our community, and it's part of doing that that helps the community to understand what and how it benefits from what it is that we do. And that is the power that then makes a difference in terms of how people make decisions. Um, so that's my platform. Uh, now to talk about what we do. Uh, so part of how we do our work is that way. Um, we have a three-legged stool that we work with in Central City, and it's community, culture, and commerce. The things that you're seeing happening now are happening because we did community and culture first. Um, we made ourselves available to the community. We began to work with the community. We began to find ways to help the community to solve its problems, celebrate the things that it wanted, and dream for the things that it didn't have. And um, that is what then became the energy that made it possible for the resources to be attracted um, so that we, we could make the, the community look the way it is. Um, and we also have a manifesto because that is not enough to define what a community needs to look like. It has to be something that's living and viable. And so the manifesto takes care of 
filling in some of the uh, blanks and making the community be a place where equity prevails and where everybody is important and where um, the needs that people have are attended to and that there are many tables that folks can sit at to be able to solve their problems. And having culture bearers and creatives at those tables are so critical. Sometimes you don't even have to ask for the resources. Sometimes it's like they want a new way to do things and it's like, okay, you can do it. That, you know, that's something that you might be able to help us with. Um, and so bringing our creativity to bear on behalf of our community is something that is critically important. It's important to our existence because it's in that way that we're able to have the community then be interested in being sure that we're there. Um, and so the commerce part came after we did the other work, after we managed to do the, uh, the things that, um, that people needed and wanted and to organize and to have many tables that people could sit at. And so for us, we are, um, you know, we're going to be 20 years old next year, so we've been at this for a minute. Uh, so people that turn around and go, oh my God, look what y'all have done. Well, we've been working a long time <laughs> to be able to get to that streetscape. That streetscape has been, we had a year for every month of pregnancy. It's been nine years <laughs> to be able to get that streetscape. Um, and, so, um, and so this is not work that happens fast. It's work that happens over time, and it happens with people getting to know each other and being able to work together. But for us, it is about having a template of, of work that is just about the community. So every week, we have gotten to children, men, women, and elders by the end of the week. Every week. And then everything else gets added on top of that. Um, and that we're available to be able to serve as a, a place because the intimacy of community building, the intimacy of art and creative work is not able always to be done in the big open world. There's a necessity to create an intimacy, an int intimacy. And the intimacy is in place. And so the place of Central City, but also the place of Ashe, the place of Cano, the place of the jazz market, these are all places where the intimacy of community can be carried out. And um, so that's another critical uh, you know, part of how it is that we do what we do. And then finally, the, um, the whole notion of being useful in helping the community through awkward and difficult times. So equity is something everybody's reaching for. Resilience is something everybody's trying to define. And um, you know, the smart people, the scholars, and the, you know, all of the uh, bureaucrats are doing that. But you know, communities have ideas, too, about how it is that those things ought to be defined and how they ought to be pursued. And so part of our job is building this bridge between us and them. And, um, and then be mindful that you know, we have a continuum here with culture that is about rooting the culture, and you know, I hear uh, Jan talking about the, the whole notion that we've got an influx of people who are, who are by virtue of their presence and being musicians are changing a little bit of what it is. So it's rooting and bearing, you know, and then it's this bridging work, and then there's this making work. And so people are often doing the first three things and not doing the last one, which is the making of culture. Um, and so we really have to be more intentional about thinking about what is essentially New Orleans and how is it that we continue to essentially move from the bridging place to a making place, bringing the essential elements of what is it that makes us New Orleans. And part of what makes us New Orleans is community and culture. And if we forget that and spend too much time thinking about the commercial aspect of it, or not really getting the fact that we have to be um, uh, intentional inside of this conversation about what is essentially New Orleans and can somebody who's not a New Orleanian become a New Orleans? All of these various and sundry versions of this conversation, uh, it is critical to figure that out um, so that we are clear 
about how it is that we can let some things go and hold on to some things and say these are, are critical ones. So um, I think that it's really important that we do a better job of remaking um, and not having our lives look so much like us and having the diversity that we are supposed to be kind of living in, in, in our country. And so we've got to be intentional about doing that. And we've got to find ways to be able to use culture and art as the way of being able to do it. I don't envy anybody to come after Carol. So I, I apologize, Sarah Woodward, who works with the Tulane PhD program called City, Culture, and Community. You got it right that time, right? All right. Sarah. I was going to say the same thing. Those were some absolutely beautiful words, uh, very difficult to follow. Um, so I, I, as Jean mentioned, I'm with the City Culture and Community Program at Tulane, and we are an interdisciplinary doctoral program. And so the goal of the program is to really get um, different academic disciplines, community um, groups together to think in, in a way that is interdisciplinary about some of our most challenging um, issues. And my particular area is really in the intersection of the arts and education, technology, community development. And so um, as a very nimble graduate student, I have become involved in a, in a lot of different uh, projects here. Um, and so in my own research and work with uh, Tulane, I have been working on looking at the impact of education reforms here in New Orleans. And part of um, my path has been uh, to work um, some with KidSmart, which has convened the Any Given Child Initiative um, that really is looking at um, working with the Kennedy Center to do a strategic plan around arts education and really looking at access and quality to arts <laughs> among arts educators um, in schools. So um, for those of you who know KidSmart's work, they um, have an arts integration model. They work with schools and teachers to provide professional development and training around really bringing the arts into classroom settings. And so they have been working um, and I'm now, now, are now launching into a really um, robust program to think strategically about how to promote arts education um, at that level. And uh, in addition to that, I also have been working with Ashe and the Arts Council along with uh, several other organizations, Yaya included, Xavier University, to put together a citywide youth mural program. And so we have a new program called the Young Artist Movement that is really about employing young people, creating um, really a pipeline into the creative industries and to think about how to equip the next generation of youth to, um, to be ready to produce beautiful work, but also to be able to sustain themselves and, and the culture of New Orleans. By now, you have figured out that the reason we are doing what we're doing is to um, basically knock you over the head with how much is happening in our community. We're going to run out of time pretty soon, but we have a few more people that I want to make sure that we have a chance to hear from. And then, of course, you have more food, booze, and music. Um, this lady standing next to me is um, part of the National Performance Network, which is an organization that how many people here at one point or another have been um, hosted by NPN? Show of hands. Maybe not. <coughs> oh, here we go. So um, NPN has helped so many of us and works nationally, not just locally. Stephanie Atkins. Thank you, Jean. Um, she also does music. 
I work for the National Performance Network Visual Artist Network. Um, we're the only, as far as I know, we're the only national art service organization in the state. Uh, forgive me if I misspoke. We are a network of 72 partners. We, on a national level, we support the uh, commission of original contemporary work and the touring of contemporary work, uh, performance, and visual arts. I'm the director of the local programs, and um, here in New Orleans, NPN is committed to our local arts and cultural sector. Um, and so how do we do that? We work with small organizations and individual artists uh, supporting capacity building and also fiscal sponsorship. Um, we're also, we have a lot of partnerships in the, in the city. Uh, Junebug Production is a national partner. Contemporary Arts Center is a national partner. <laughs> and also, also uh, Ashe Cultural Arts Center is a national partner. Um, we work with a lot of small um, art organizations, especially in the Marini. Um, we also work with the Arts Council um, with their advocacy efforts um, with a group of local organization uh, cohorts called Arts Align. Um, NPN is really committed to the local culture, especially around cultural equity. Um, as a few of us have already uh, mentioned the landscape is changing. Everyone loves New Orleans. There's a lot of folks that are coming here because of the culture and the arts. Um, but we also have to make sure that the cultural bearers and the local artists have support. So NPN is committed to providing access to resources, uh, providing resources, especially around when it comes to a living wage and where practicing artists can have a livelihood at what they do. Um, our city is embraced globally. However, we must make sure that the, the local cultural bearers can do what they do and continue what it is that makes our city special. So um, we're located at 1024 Elysian Fields. We have a, a facility called Arts Estuary. I invite all of you to come and visit our lovely space. So yeah, thank you. And we have the Director of School of Arts from UNO, Chuck Taylor. Hi, thank you. My name is Chuck Taylor. I'm on the faculty at the University of New Orleans. I'm a professor of music, but as of the end of this past November, I'm now director of our new School of the Arts at the university. This is a new initiative where we're bringing together the programs in music, film, theater, visual arts, and arts administration under one umbrella. And it's my goal, our goal, I should say, to make this something that's greater than the sum of its parts. Now, the University of New Orleans is the public university of the city. We are an urban research institution, and I take the notion of us being a public institution very seriously. So as we put the School of the Arts together, um, there are several, several goals that we have. One is to become, as I said, greater than some of its parts, rather than a siloed program where we have music here, art here, 
film here that we're working collaboratively across the areas and also working collaboratively across the university. For those of you that have met him, you know we have a, a kind of a dynamo now as president of the university, and John Nicklow, and who is an engineer. But he has decided that the School of the Arts is one of two priorities for the university. Um, the other being scholarships in light of the loss of some of the TOPS funding, among other things. As a matter of fact, we were the one of only two universities in the state that allowed students to come this spring and still receive their full TOPS allotment. And it was because of some incredibly prescient work by the president and his team that we were able to do that. But he is completely behind this initiative. And so our goal is, as an integrated arts program in this community to be a partner with all of you in the community and to find ways that we can support you and hopefully you support us because you know we we're in a position like many of you are where we're dependent upon new methods of funding you know, when I first came here, we received 60% of our budget from the state. We now receive less than 25% of our budget from the state because of all, and just to put it in perspective. But um, we're working to find other sources of income to help us build this program. And one of the first steps we're going to be taking is to engage a consultant firm. Um, I don't want to go into details because I'm still trying to get the funding for it together but we've already been working together on a project that will create a strategic plan for the School of the Arts that will provide input from the community. And many of you, I'm sure, will be contacted at some point by the consultants um, for your input. But my goal is to have a program that positions our students for success in what the arts world is today not the arts world of 10 years ago or when we were coming up. We have a faculty that is engaged in the community. Many of them are names that you know and people that work with you um, in the music field and, and in all the arts fields. And so our goal is to continue that professional relationship with the artists in the community, but also the artists nationally and internationally. And through our strategic planning, to develop a school of the arts that does present present opportunities for our students both artistically and also to prepare them for the realities of the, their professional role in the arts world. And so I ask for all the support that we can get and as the public institution, um, we'll be glad to help in any way we can as well. So thank you. All that's happening in New Orleans and the world. Gene Nathan from Crosstown Conversations.